0: Happy Monday, everybody. My name is Moore Milo.
1: And I'm Ross Inarelli.
0: And this is the Market Today podcast, bringing you episode 124. For those of you that are new or are interested in what we do, what we like to do here every single week is read a book about business or some form of nonfiction that we can learn from and then tell you guys about what we learned, tell you guys if it was worth the read. In addition to that, we also talk about what's happening in the markets, hence Market Today being the name of our podcast. And with that being said, Ross, what's happening today in the market?
1: Yeah. You know, today we were really going to talk about, um, you know, COVID, which has obviously been the hot topic for the last year, two years. But I want to more so talk about uh, what industries we think are on the verge of rebounding. You know, we've really been seeing in the last few weeks a big boost in travel. There's been a lot more people looking to get active. You know, if you're double vaxxed and you have your booster, you know, at that point, you're really just like, I'm going to go live my life and and kind of see how everything goes. I'm still going to be smart, wear a mask, be protected. But, you know, people are try- starting to get back out there. And companies, you know, that were affected in the beginning were, you know, companies like Airbnb or um, Booking.com. A lot of these, you know, travel companies. Carnival Cruise was a big one that a lot of people talked about. And, you know, I think it's just going to be interesting to see that if we can start to get this – you know, handled a little bit more, we're going to start to see a boom in some of these stocks. So, you know, I think while right now we're in another wave and fear has gone up again, you know, we always talk about like Warren Buffett and the, the fear and greed index. And, you know, when others are, are fearful, be greedy. You know, this might be a time to get a few months ahead. Maybe you're three, maybe you're six months ahead. But maybe start think shifting your thinking to what companies... Can benefit from not only the economy opening back up to full speed, but are there companies that that grew or that became more lean during the the pandemic that they may be in a much better position to succeed than their competitors? Um, so when I think of of things like that, I'm looking at some of these travel companies and really starting to get a, a my mind in this space of, you know, is there a company here that I really think can grow? Is it one of these Electric car companies that have been so hot lately. Speaking of, you know, Rivian or Polestar or Tesla. You know, Tesla today announced um, they they killed it when it came to their deliveries for Q4, and their stock is shot all the way from like 1050 up to 1200. I mean, it's like a 13, 14% gain in a day, massive. While other companies like Rivian have struggled to kind of get, you know, hit their delivery mark. So. It's going to start getting to a place where the company matters, but the company matters in the sense of who's running these companies. Some of this management experience is really going to shine through as we start to slowly, slowly eke out of this um, pandemic. For you more, are there any industries or other companies that you're thinking of when we put our mindset into you know what companies could possibly be a good buy or something to keep our eye on as we kind of continue through the, the start of this year?
0: For me, it's all about companies that have a physical touch, anything that's in the event space, anything that's going towards, uh, you know, really just creating experience. I think more than anything before, retail is taking a complete shift. People are realizing that they don't need the retail space to be able to understand what's happening. Uh, You know, like they don't need it. They don't need to go in and, and touch and feel every little thing. So I think retail is gonna transform. I think we're gonna see more of an experiential opportunity for consumers to interact with the brands themselves and generate some form of relationship around it so that they can then purchase their products through their phone, through their computer, you know, digitally in some format, even in person, right? Even to the extent where, you know, there is an inventory at the retail location because you go to the retail location for the experience and then while you're there, you purchase the item that you came to experience and you do it digitally, you know, delivered to your home within 48 hours like Amazon Prime or whatever it might be. Uh, So I think it's gonna be very interesting to see who can revolutionize retail, and revolutionize uh, experiences as a whole, ways to create events and cre- bring people together in person. Uh, and I think those are, the, those are the companies that are really going to win. Uh, I think that's that's going to be really interesting to see how you know some of these companies reinvent themselves because consumers just aren't as interested in going in to look and touch and feel things when they can just get it at the comfort of their fingertips.
1: And so I think driving, that's a I think that's a great point as well. I was actually um, reading earlier today about, you know, kind of uh, it was Walmart and the, how you can buy online and pick up in store Walmart out of that entire sector of retail, this, you know, buy online, pick up in store. They make 25% of the total market. They, one out of every $4 spent on buy now, pick up later goes to Walmart. So that is first off insane to think about. But two just interesting to see how quickly Walmart who granted is off to a better start because they didn't have to shut down like a lot of small businesses during the pandemic. They were really helped out. They were allowed to stay open, which to me doesn't really make sense. I I feel like if everyone's crowding in one place, it's probably not as good as one to two people going to a small store at a time, but that's a different point. But it's, it's it's crazy, like you said, about retail, how they were able to kind of adjust and shift. You know, Now, to think that they're a retailer who was just pretty much brick and mortar or just doing e-com is really playing in that omni-channel blend to really try to increase their sales. Because like you said, a lot of people now don't really feel like shopping. And maybe for one, that's just the experience is, has degraded a little bit. But two, especially in a time of pandemic, maybe they just don't want to be out. They don't want to be around. They'd rather pick it up quickly. They don't want to wait a few days for shipping. But the most they're really willing to do is go to the pickup counter and take it home. So definitely interesting to see that they make, like I said, one in four um, of all sales for this kind of buy now, pick up later goes to you know, Walmart, a.k.a. Okay, one of the largest retailers in the country. So definitely interesting to see how they've adapted to this this new time for sure.
0: No doubt about it. I I think it's going to be a really interesting time for business and for our economy to to try to claw our way back from this craziness that was COVID, you know, and I think that, uh, you know, we've printed a lot of money, we've done a lot of things that... Uh, are going to take effect in the next couple couple years, and I think depending on how we rebound from this situation and how we take our lessons that we learned and how we can incorporate them into a, a better tomorrow, uh, that could potentially be a thing that could help us get through this uh, probably rather turbulent, you know, next t- couple years, turbulent next couple years. Uh, so. It'll be really, really interesting. With that being said, I'd like to go ahead and kind of push into the book for the week. This week we read a book called The Win Without Pitching Manifesto by Blair Enns. Uh, And, Ross, 10,000 foot view, man, what did did you think?
1: Great book. Great book from a 10,000 view. Um, What do you think?
0: Yeah, I thought it was really, really solid. I thought that it was well thought out. I thought that it was – very narrow in its subject and it was it was trying to get a point across and she did it um or he did it excuse me I think it's blair as a he and there was a lady that was that was reading the book for him but um I think it was really well done from the perspective of i'm gonna drill down on this concept that you don't need to pitch anymore and that you can just have a conversation and align goals and win deals is that, is that what you got out of it
1: Pretty much, and for me, I was really trying to kind of relate it into my, you know, everyday life. You know, where I'm in a sales role, but the, my current role has been nice, where I don't try to hard sell anymore. I try to find, you know, what their goal is and see how we can kind of provide value. So for me, this was a really good book. You know, it really kind of talked about, you know, stop getting yourself in that mindset of of pitching, you know, or, or presenting. Obviously, you need to do it, but a lot of people can shift into that sales mode to where it feels salesy to the other person, where you can get a lot of that across if you're just taking the time to understand your client, take them through the benefits that, that they can get. Um, and like I said, take your time with, with the process and understand the process. So for me, um, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great read. Um, and I think you know, I'll take a lot of that with me as well. Yeah,
0: I think, you know, it was really interesting for someone to kind of place it because, you know, Ross, you and I have been talking about this with our buddy Adrian for quite a while, the consumer-centric approach, the, the advisor-first approach, the consultative approach as opposed to the sales approach, right? And, and what that's now become in 2022, like people don't really want to be pitched. They don't really want to be sold. They want to create alignment. They want to feel like it, it makes sense. And it's it's a feeling. It's not necessarily a logical thing. It's a feeling of, of making sense of, from the psychology of positioning yourself. Like I, I thought that they did a really great job of like laying it out in layman's terms for normal people to understand like the psychology behind why you want to position yourself in a certain way as opposed to getting in front and doing the song and dance, right? So I thought they did a really good job of, of, of pinpointing that. Uh, And digging deeply into it and and creating examples around different, uh, you know, different ways to position yourself as that advisor, as that expert. Right. Um, And I also like I like the fact that they were very clear on the fact that, you know, you really have to have a narrow expert focus in order to build. Through this methodology, right? In order to sell by using this, you have to have an expertise in a specific thing. And when you are presented with an opportunity that's with within that realm, you stand as the expert when you're presented with an opportunity outside of that realm. You need to stand as a knowledgeable figure that has expertise in the field but isn't a particular the, the, uh, a subject matter expert in that particular thing and could, be, it could help around that thing that you're looking for but is better at a certain other thing, right? And I, think that, I think that positioning of being able to say, listen, I'm really good at X and I understand that you need Y and I understand that you trust me enough to do Y and I know that I'm more than competent to do Y for you but I do specialize in X. However, with that being said, we have a relationship long long term, blah, blah, blah. I'll do why for you, but don't expect me to be, you know, to turn this into, you know, the next uh, pillar in my business, if that makes sense. Do you, you see where I'm going with that, Ross?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like I said, everyone brings their own level of expertise. And I thought it was also good in the book where they talked about, you know, understanding your value at that point, you know, and this is something that, Me and you have had conversations with with some of our clients and it's, you know, how much info do we give them in the beginning? Like, you know, we'll we'll give a lot of free information out because we believe that, you know, provide that value, it will come back to you. But in the book, they also talked about, you know, providing value, but don't give it all. Don't give it all for free. You know, understand that if they are going to want some of this high level knowledge that you can give them, you know, they will have to pay for it. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, understanding your value and realizing that, you know, I'll give you as much as I can, but what I'm really, you know, what I get paid for is giving this kind of value. So it'd be unfair to the other people that pay me for this knowledge to just give it to you for free over the phone right now. So I think understanding that as well, because we've had that with some clients where, you know, we've we've felt like we've given them a lot of info, almost more maybe than they deserved. Um, because we want to be helpful and then, you know, maybe it's just not the right fit and it doesn't go anywhere where in the sense of for this, you know, if you really are a subject matter expert, you know, give them, help them out, find out their problem, give them, you know, some of the initial, but just like a doctor, you know, they're not going to fully diagnose and prescribe a fix unless you go to their office, visit them, pay the doctor fee. You know, they, they've earned the right to be able to charge for this information and this knowledge. So that's something as well that um, I liked to hear because I want to play that fine line between giving them everything for free because we want to be helpful and, you know, you know hope that this turns into a great relationship, but also understanding that you can guard some of your really high info or at least your diagnosis and suggestion of how to fix the problem. Where, you know, more than, more than happy to tell you, you know, insights on what maybe you should and shouldn't do. But don't take the time to do a deep dive into someone's company and give them all this info um, that they're not really paying for in any manner. So I don't know. That was something that that I thought of as well, just because I feel like we've run into that a few times.
0: Yeah, they were very adamant about... And it goes goes back to the conversation that I had a few seconds ago, which was the positioning of, of, of your business and how... You want to really position yourself as an expert in your field and obviously provide the expert service. And when you do show up and provide that expert service, you should be charged handsomely. And to the extent where they they went into pricing theory to a certain extent, how – depending on the type of action that would be taken, they would price things a certain way from the perspective of like, okay, is it going to be a whole round number like 15000 or are we going to price it for 149999 right? So I think what she said was having to do with thinking, having to do with paying for talent, right? They would charge numbers that end in zeros. And the reason behind that is that you want to move that person away from the concept of you're paying me for a fee, or you're paying me for my time, to the 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 space of you're paying me for my knowledge and my capabilities and my creativeness and what I bring to the table as an expert, right? Whereas if you would have you know um, something more tactical, as opposed to strategic, you could charge them on like a, you know seventy nine ninety nine. Per hour basis or something along those lines, because that's a transactional item, which is a little bit different than how you would position yourself for a, you know, intellectual property kind of pitch. You know, a, spe- a specialized item, a specialized um, service solution, whatever it may be that you're selling. And I thought that was very interesting too. I think the perspective there was very cool um, to take a step back and, and think about, like, okay, well. You know, how do we price things in the world right like when we do something transactional we price it in these 999 or 989 or 979 or whatever to make it look more appealing as in oh it's a little cheaper right like 899 like that payment on that car is 899 it's like oh okay it's only 899 it's like no that's 900 dollars, right but 900 dollars doesn't sound as attractive as 899 right because it's like oh I'm not at 900 yet, but we're just shy of it, but I still got a good deal. Whereas, you know, if you were to charge that same customer 900, I'm going to you're going to $900 a month, that's what you're looking for. They're going to be like, "Whoa, okay, that's a lot of money, right? $900, a nine figure, right? Putting that those zeros after it." Whereas, when you sit as an expert and you sit in a place of like, "Okay, what we have, we charge a premium for." But it's with good reason. You can kind of come from a place of, you know, like think in, in the analogy of cars, because me and, you know, Ross have been with cars for forever. When someone charges over sticker for a car, right, they don't charge you, you know, $4,999 over the sticker price of the vehicle. No, they charge you $5,000 over the sticker price. Why? Because that's the market rate, and we're proud and, and, and confident that this is a unique item that you can purchase for a premium, right? And I thought that was a really interesting. Uh, verbalization that I think a lot of people get.
1: Yeah, agreed. And I think, you know, understanding like we said that value. You know, for me, when I was new to this role, you know, I was, you know, I'll take any client that is willing to you know kind of sign up or do business with me. And now we're at a spot where, you know, we talk a lot in in my industry about bandwidth. You only have so so much time in a day to give. And at a certain point, you're going to have to keep moving that minimum up, you know, getting that supply demand in a place that works for you and your business. So, you know, now if the same client came to me and said, Hey, I want to spend, you know, $1,000 a month, $2,000 a month, in the beginning I would have been sure. But now with, with where the business is at, you know, if you're not spending a good amount more, it lets me confidently say, Hey, maybe this isn't a right fit. And even if, you know, the price has to come down from there, it makes it a lot easier to have a higher number. You know, you're you're able to back that number with more confidence saying, "Hey, I only really work with clients that are spending x amount. This is really where we see, you know, the value come in. This is where we can see the right, you know, results. But anything less than that kind of does you you a disservice and myself because we're not going to be able to really hit some of these goals. So, I think the minimum um, as well, like so, they use a lot of analogies, like a doctor's office, things like that. But I think it helps put things into a perspective of you know, know your audience. You know, you can really get a lot done in a conversational tone, more of a uh, you know how someone would real re- react in a doctor's office versus trying to sell somebody. Come to a place where you bring value. You know, show that you are an expert, and and let them feel that so that they're not trying to feel like they know more than you, and they're going to be difficult to to get into the selling or the sales process instead you know come from that place of value and they'll see that and it should make the entire process a little bit lighter because you're saying hey I'm worth this amount this is what I do I'm confident in my results um if this doesn't work for you that's completely fine but if you do choose to work with me you know I'm very confident that we can make things work so I think it's just going to make for a lot of people out there and a lot of people that read this book I think it's going to make them more confident at setting that minimum because I have a lot of friends as well, uh, More, and I have worked with someone as well, who sets really low minimums for their work when he can easily charge a lot more. But he sets these numbers because he, he wants the deal. He, he's fine with that number. He can, You know, it's an extra few hundred dollars in his pocket every project where he can easily charge a thousand dollars or even two grand for some of these things you know but he's just going to have to be willing to say no you know to the client which a lot of people aren't able to do
0: yeah, it is really tough. I mean depending on where you are in your business and where you are in your life and shoot, where, where you have to do to, to cover your bills, right? Like sometimes you got to do what you got to do but in order to truly have a longevity in your business, you do have to set, set the table, set the understanding, set the expectation. You know, understand what it is that you do and why you bring value and draw the line. You know, don't be afraid to put your foot down and say, you know what, that doesn't work for me. Um, you know don't do it to a place of detriment but definitely do it. With that being said, Ross, any final thoughts?
1: Um, final thoughts I would recommend the book I thought it was great. Um, you know we, we've read a lot of books that sometimes are very good or not very good but I thought this one at least for me personally um, I could relate very well to my own job so I feel like maybe other people um, might have that same reaction where they can kind of visualize themselves. With their client going through um, kind of some of these processes and steps. So, for me, highly recommend it. Thought it was great. What do you think, Moore?
0: I agree. I thought it was really a wonderful book. Um, I definitely would recommend it. I think it's worthwhile if you're in any type of sales position, specifically business to business sales. Um, if you have a service or a solution, like that helps a lot you know when you sell an intangible it's really important to build that type of relationship and to position yourself as the expert as well as have a conversation instead of create a pitch it just it's going to allow you to open doors that you didn't know existed because you were willing to listen and open yourself up to a place of curiosity and um i think it's a really valuable read so take the time to do it With that being said, guys, thank you so much for joining us for episode 124 of Market Today. My name is Moore Milo.
1: I'm Ross Annarelli. This is Market Today, and we will see you guys next week. Take care.